You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Boy, old, uh, you looking, there he is, REMAX Advantage Plus, Andy Presky. Hey, I think Nick is really looking for clickbaiters with that initial photo up there. I'm just saying. I uh, I said it must be nice to have uh, Chris run the show with his intro, with just his face the whole time. <laughs> Don't worry about your paycheck this week, Nick. It'll it'll probably get there. <laughs> I was I'm I'm kind of disappointed. I mean that they they always should have said you know real estate radio with Chris Rooney, and then and his guy Andy. And the side, oh and the, and the kick on the side, Pratsky. <laughs> exactly. The hey, Polish remember, Prince from Champlin. You actually were that guy on the side at the very beginning. Remember? I like being the sidekick. I don't want to be the main show. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, we have. Uh, I think uh, Nick had Nick got caught up in a little uh, problem over in Italy that. Uh, he can't. Oh, there he is. I guess it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> um, uh, where is that? Anyways, uh, I don't know, but get me there. Yeah, he's out. He's out. Uh, he's out traveling, but he caught. He got caught up in a in an internet where you, we can see him, but he doesn't sound very good. But why don't you give him a little? Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay, so that's why we're not complaining. That, that's great for a podcast, Nick. Good job. We. Uh... <laughs> hey, that might get us more listeners, actually. We have a. We no actually problem. have the only registered robot uh, on podcast. <laughs> exactly. All right, so we're gonna do some stuff um, here and talk about pricing strategies and what's happening in the market. So, this is reminding me of the old days, Andy. Where I had yeah. to start off and do it, so I got to get got to get used to this. But uh, strategies on pricing—is uh, there um, a a price that maybe is is too low? Or when you're when we're meeting with clients, what is it that um, we're trying to do as far as pricing? Well, I think a lot of people bring their worldly experiences into real estate, where you know they are assuming that when you sell a lawnmower, it's the same as selling a house. So if you want five grand for your used lawnmower, you, you price it at six. They come in and they wheel and deal with you and they, you get five. And real estate, you have to be smart. There's a couple factors that I put into the equation. Not only what will the market bear, which we've seen that the market has been willing to pay more than what is considered the appraisable value, you know, quite frequently over the last probably six to eight months. But um, you, you deal with appraisals. And so depending on the kind of financing in the area that you're selling, you have different styles or kinds of financing. There's you know, conventional, there's uh, FHA, there's VA, there's, you know, a plethora of different kinds of financing. And so what happens is if you look at your MLS search and you can see the history and you actually know that where you are selling your property, that a majority of the, the sellers have a certain kind of financing they're using, you should you should cater to that. So for an example, with FHA, um, when FHA comes into play, you get one appraisal, even if there's 10 people that write offers FHA, that same appraisal is used on whoever gets, you know, obviously if you award one, they order the appraisal, the deal blows apart, they use the same appraisal again. So you do have limitations when you're when you're in that environment as far as the upside, because 
and unless they have a, a mom and dad or, or somebody that's willing to pay the difference, but ultimately financing and then uh, what the market will bear will dictate your price. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, what, how about the question of, can you, can you price it too low? I mean, oh, sure. I think that what happens is, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've had, um, as I crossed my arms defensively, um, a couple of times where I've been uh, questioned about pricing a house too low. The idea there is to get as much attention as possible. I, when I have people coming up from Golden Valley to Dayton to show a property, that that's getting you the exposure that you want. The market will dictate what that house is worth. If somebody comes and looks at a house and let's say you list it at, you know, 200,000 and it's really worth 225, the market will probably go to 225 to 230. So you just have to trust the system, uh, know that the agents know what's going on and that um, the lower price just attracts more lookers, which gets you in theory more offers and the cream always rises to the top. So if you have 10 offers in play, you, you've got a lot of good offers to pick from. Um, in, in, in some cases, sometimes they're, they're not. I've had that too where they're all crummy. But um, for the most part, you you should have uh, more options for you as a seller with better terms. And um, yeah, I, I think too that um, I think there is sometimes you can price it too low. I mean, with that strategy, that not that one, but let's just say that that house is um, worth 250 and you, and you price it at 199.9. I mean, yeah, you might get some people going, but the thing is, is that you're not setting the right, um, I don't know, you're not, if, if you if you put it under 200, you might be like doubting them. Like, what the hell, what am I missing here? Maybe this too long. Right. But so if you're at 250, if it's really kind of where you think it's at 250, but you're going 225 to 229, that's kind of the same thing. So I think in some cases, I mean, that 199 might hurt the value here. So now when people say 229, just say, oh my gosh, now it's worth way more than that. And the other thing you're doing is you might get that 250 and above person looking down at that property. They're not going to probably look down at this property, you know, at 199, but at 229, they will. And then they're looking at up to 300, they might really push it up. So what you're really saying is Zillow's price is not always accurate. No, it is every time. It's, I That's why I don't even have to do pricing. It's awesome. I just go there and say, Zillow says this. This is what we have to go at. Yeah. No, I, I think that you're bringing up some great points, Chris. And I think that that's the uh, the advantage of having a experienced agent in your market. Because as the market changes, you want to be ahead of the market, not behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen where as the market's, you know, at 200 and you list at 210 and the market starts softening and then you drop to 205 and then you drop to 200. And the market's softening faster than you can catch it. Um, versus if you listen at 189.9, you know, where you're ahead of the market and it's coming down, you'll get multiple offers on that 189.9. You'll probably get 195 or one or 200 versus inevitably when you do the price, the price reduction game, you're losing. So if, if you as a seller are reduction, 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 trying to find the marketplace or trying to hit that sweet spot, you, you don't do it. it, it it's not a good strategy. Nobody likes it. The buyers don't like it. The, the agents don't like it. Um, the appraisers don't like it. It just shows that you haven't been able to establish value in that market at a certain price point. So what you want to do is do all your homework, find exact comps. Um, like the other day, I was helping one of my agents do a, a market analysis on a property. And the guy, the seller kept saying, hey, well, I want to use this split entry down the street here. They got 225 a square foot. That's awesome. You're not a split entry. You're a townhouse with two car garage, two bedroom, two bath, 
And that's what you have to compare to. You have to use your own comps within your development as an appraiser would think about it, right? The, you have to put your appraiser cap on for a second. And then you can go back to, well, we're the end unit or we have the best view of the lake or that we, you know, and those are all the, the algorithms and, and um, parts of the equation that the automated systems can't put into play. Right. I think what's interesting too is, is, is knowing your market and what's happening in that market. Because if like a typical realtor, what we would look at is, Hey, here's what's um, active and here's pending. Well, and this is what the solds were. And really people lean towards, Hey, this is what it's sold for. But if you don't know what's happening in that market today, right. like really what the, the real market is, is what's pending, you know, and then that, that actives will drive it one way or the other, but the pending market is what it is. And if you don't understand what's happening in that market and strategizing on how to exploit that market, it's, you're just, you're not doing their client any service and you're not getting the most amount of money. So um, understanding what is going on and, and being, in that, I mean, like the other day, I was uh, I'm listing a house in a in a certain price point, and I started calling all a bunch of different agents that I know, and uh, asked them about how their listings went and what happened, and on the pending sale and how many showings they got and stuff like that, which helped me um, come up with a strategy to be able to go and price that house. And so I think that's real important, and I think that's one thing that a lot of realtors really miss is they don't talk to other realtors. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's an email, it's a text, it's whatever. But when you talk to people, you really find out stuff and what's going on. And it's not like, oh, Chris, this is what it sold for. That doesn't happen. What happens is just the understanding that, you know what? We had 15 showings. We ended up getting three offers. Yeah, and they were really good. You know, okay, that's great. So there's 15 showings. Two months ago, that would have been 30 showings. You know, they got three offers, but we would have had eight back then. But what I'm seeing is that we're getting less showings we're getting less offers, but we're still doing good when it comes to selling. And so it's 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 kind of interesting, but people start getting like, what, what, where's all the joints? You know what? That's how many we need. We need one and we yeah. need someone to push them. And as this person pushes them, you know, you'll get, you'll end up getting the right price. Well, that's why you do a marketing strategy behind the scenes too. You don't just throw it out there and cross your fingers and say, oh God, I hope it sells. Cause that's, you know, that's for sale by owner style. You can do that on your own. You hire an agent to help develop a plan and a strategy that'll work based on the pricing, based on what they're seeing for demographics of the buyers. I mean, if you're going into one level living and you're advertising to people with kids, you're crazy. You should be going after the retirement crowd, you know, or whoever your target audience is. And when you put more effort into that direction, you'll get the offers to come in. You'll get more people uh, talking about because um, for needs and everything else. But Anyway, that, that, that's marketing strategies, what you were talking about there. So, yeah. And, you know, and that kind of comes into, you know, a turnkey home. Is that necessary in today's market? And what, we what does mean, that mean? Yeah. What a turnkey home means is that someone can go in, buy it and live in it. Turn, open the key, uh, turn the key. Hey, hey, turnkey. There you go. Good job. And uh, turn the key. <laughs> you can go in your home and you can actually move your stuff in and live in there. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, a turnkey home is, the home you're going to get the most money for, uh, typically, unless there's something of a location type uh, opportunity. It's on a lake. It's on Great Lakeshore. Someone's going to tear it down. But uh, a turnkey home is much better because a lot of people have the money to put into it and they can finance it, but they don't have a lot of money to put into it, finance it, and then put more money into it to, to fix it up. So they'll pay more. 
Yeah. Well, and turnkey can mean a lot of things. I mean, turnkey is it is it is the property financeable. You know, I keep going back to financing. You know, I deal a little bit more with that entry level, you know, housing uh, stock. Um, and, well, and, and executive too, or fixer upper. And so, what I think you and I are saying is that making the house where somebody not only can finance it, more people can finance it, you know, um, but you're also making the house where it, they can move in and enjoy it immediately without having to do anything to the property. Um, that is the most desirable right now because, especially when people are pushing themselves sometimes on uh, the pricing, you know, uh, maybe they're um, not 100% comfortable going up to 400,000. But the house is 400 and they buy it and everything's done. That buyer will buy that house when everything's done versus, you know, getting, you know, turned off and, and, uh, you know, having to worry about putting in a new furnace in a year or a new water heater. And, you know, you're better off. I've always said this. You're better off putting those items into the house and pricing your house appropriately with those new items in there. I totally agree. And I think people also have to realize, Andy, and, and I know you talk about this and I do as well. But when you're going into a house, they're saying, oh, I, I mean, you know, if I put in that much money, am I going to make this much money? Well, there's there's a difference between um, repairs that have been neglected and improvements. There's a big difference between those. So if you're, um, let's say your siding is falling down, you know, you have to have siding. That not doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, that's an improvement. I'm going to make all my money back. People assume that you have to have the siding. Uh, on the property. It's sometimes with uh, painting or, you know, an old furnace and now you got a new furnace. You're going to get some, but not all of it. When I talk about improvements, uh, I'm talking about, hey, let's put in a ceramic backsplash or we're going to get these countertops. That's what brings money. Flooring, um, sometimes painting um, work, works a lot. Cleaning, cleaning is a, is a huge thing. So, um, but yeah, the more- well, make, I would say make sure to have somebody else, a professional cleaner, give their version of clean as well, because I'll tell you what. So if you're watching this or listening to this podcast um, or watching this on, on Facebook here, um, here's what I'd say to you. Let's say you don't want to do those things and you want to sell your house and all these beautiful billboards and ads you hear on the radio sound attractive to you. One thing you got to put into perspective is this, whatever those items would have cost you plus about 30% is what those uh, contractors are looking for. So, you know, you do the math on that. Um, let's say there's $10,000 worth of improvements, and then they like to make about 30% on that house um, is kind of the average curve of what I've been seeing out there. 20 to 30 is is real uh, competitive. And, and now you do the math and you go, oh, my God, I'm leaving thousands of dollars on the table. If I would just take, you know, 30 days and put the five or 10 grand into this house, not only do you get it back and you can do an equity line or some agents like yourself, I know Chris and myself will even help people will front the expenses um, to those people to help them improve the property. And then we get paid back at closing um, so that you can maximize your return. Because if we're on your side of the field, I, I, I find it so hard for agents to say, well, I'll bring in a wholesaler for you. Well, the wholesaler is going to rip you off, right? Or the, the we'll take care of it. Don't even clean out the fridge. We'll take care of it. Everything you're doing is costing you 30% plus whatever it costs them to do it. So you know what I'm saying? So anyway. We're doing, oh, oh, there we go. All right, um, nightmare showings is what we're talking about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of uh, amend that a little and say nightmare appointments, okay? So mine was, um, well, I don't even know when this was, but it was in the, it was in the 90s at some point. And uh, went over to this house, <laughs> went over to this house 
and uh, we're going to, to list it. And, you know, sometimes, Andy, we, we get into spirited conversations uh, with the clients, but th in this case, this client, the clients were getting, you know, didn't, didn't totally agree on things. And it was obviously there, there was a problem here. So we're going, we're going through everything and talking about, you know, Hey, is there, is there repairs that you'd like to make? And one's absolutely not. I want to sell it turnkey and we don't, I don't want to do a thing. I don't want to live with that. And the other person's like, no, we, we can make money. Well, you don't have to clean it. You won't clean it. And then I'll have to do it and I'll have to live in it. And you're working and you know, all this stuff going back and forth and they start arguing. And then uh, about, about 10, 15 minutes in, uh, you know what? I want a divorce. So I was at an appointment where they asked for a divorce right in front of me. Now, the moral of the story was they did get divorced. Was, was she yeah. twirling your hair, Chris, at the time? Oh, no. They did get divorced, and I did sell the house. I mean, it was yeah. just a different way of selling it. So they didn't agree, but uh, it uh, it was like crazy. You know, uh, oh, okay. Um, you guys might want to talk about this. We'll talk later. Crazy. Well, well, new, new, new construction, I get that all the time, where all of a sudden you start getting into making selections. And I've told you, Stephen, this is not what we're doing. And all of a sudden I'll start laughing. I'll put my hand over my face. And if the environment is not one of where they can handle me laughing at them, because yeah. <laughs> most people don't realize that now they're at their at-home voice versus their out-in-public voice. And they start like railing on each other. And I'll just, why don't I go outside? I'll uh, count the birds on the tree out there. I'll come back in in five minutes. Um, the uh, But, you know, for nightmare stories, I'll tell you what. I, I have a couple of them here. Um, I have one from uh, when I did a uh, my, my showing. So back in 2009, I'm out in St. Francis, and I'm showing a property where it's on 10 acres. And you pull up this driveway, and it's dark because they, they worked late that night. So it was like after, I don't know, 8 o'clock. It was like 8 o'clock right on the dot. So we're meeting these people. We're driving up this driveway, and it meanders through the trees and goes up and over. And all of a sudden, you see there's the, the front door of the house and the windows. And I didn't even realize it was an in-ground home. So it was like a, a started house with a walkout basement coming towards the, the entryway. Eventually, someday, maybe you add a second floor on it or whatever. And we're out there, it's dark, so I leave my, my headlights shining onto the, the front of the, the house. And I'm out there, pitch black, dark, middle of winter, snow everywhere. And I'm out there doing the door, I'm doing the combo. And I'm, I'm spinning and finally get it, unlock it, stick the key in there, unlock the door. And all of a sudden, who the hell are you? Shotgun in my face, in my face, shotgun. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> literally. All of a sudden, all I hear is my client's doors going boom, boom. <laughs> they laugh. I'm standing there and I go, I'm a real estate agent. I'm here to do a showing. He goes, I canceled that showing. I blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. He turned around and walked away. <laughs> oh, my God. I, oh. I've never been so scared in all of my life. Not only was it kind of creepy because you're on 10 acres, you're in the middle of nowhere. So you're like, is there a black bear going to attack us at night? What's going on up here? trees and it's kind of that spooky oh. and it's cold and winter and winds blowing yeah oh god Usually, that was that was the worst. And then the other i got one other story for a quick and then i'll leave you alone here so then i, I decide that i want to become a real estate agent right and I, I get into new construction just like my parents and i finally find a builder and i'm sitting up in rogers first open house first day of the parade 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is going to be the best. I'm out there, you know, young Andy doing young Andy stuff and got flags everywhere, 30, 40 signs out there. And all of a sudden this little old man comes into the model home and I'm like, hey, how you doing today? And, and whatever. And I said, hey, keep in mind this split entry that's up above, we can push it down into the ground. It can become a rambler, you know, just absorb the space. He goes, oh, he goes, okay, well, I'll take a look around. All of a sudden I hear the door shut and lock. And I go, that was weird. And I'm sitting out in the kitchen and the guy comes back on. He goes, oh, sorry. He goes, I hope you don't mind. I had to use the bathroom real quick. I'm like, ah, no problem. And he goes, all right, well, I'll see you later. And all of a sudden this waft of sewer gas hits me. This guy destroyed. He plastered this bathroom, <laughs> just destroyed it. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and these people come in. Hi, nice to meet you. And it's me by myself in this house. So, of course, they think I completely shit myself in the bathroom. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I go. And I, I literally go, a guy just came in here and used the bathroom. It wasn't me. I swear to God. And they go, uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was so defensive. I was like, I didn't do it. I swear to God. It wasn't me. Oh, sorry. That's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. I just yeah. was so concerned that they would think that it was me, the new realtor, that went in there and just destroyed the bathroom. There are some people that are unbelievable when it comes to stuff. I mean, you know, sitting in models, and we usually have stuff in the fridge, you know, whether or not yeah. we're sitting there for a long time or some food or whatever. And they just go right in the fridge and just take what they want and don't say anything. I'm just like, what? I mean, uh, but Andy, you should go to the bathroom prior to going to the open house. You should, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and remind me, someday I'll tell you a funny story about two realtors that – uh, at that same location, uh, I learned how uh, realtors are a human, and uh, we'll go from there. I'll two save that for another story day. Two realtors? Two realtors, yes. Okay. Okay. Anyways, okay. Practical value. What are we talking about? Differentiators on multiple offers. What have you seen out there, Andy, that uh, people are doing that's uh, raising the eyebrows of sellers and uh, maybe swaying them towards their offer? Well, you know, I do an extensive analysis of the property, so I know what it'll appraise for, in my opinion. You know, I mean, obviously I've seen some appraisers that shock us, but we follow the rules of appraisals. Kind of like the old, in the old days, you used to do what they call the BPO, a broker price opinion. And they have windows of, you know, you only go 20% over on the foundation, the upper you know, upstairs, can't finish the basement, doesn't count. Uh, you know, whatever, they can add for view. So I, I'll go through and I'll literally do my version of what I call an appraisal or what I would have my clients pay for the house. And then I say, this is what the market might bear. And then if it's within that window or above it, um, generally what we'll do is we'll, we'll take a look at the appraisals. Uh, we take a look at, as the offers come in, um, if it's within that appraisable range, we'll accept the offer. If it's above that, what I do is I, I ask for an appraisal gap guarantee. So between our list price and what they offered, I want them to guarantee that gap in cash, proof of funds, show me that you've got the money, um, and then if they're uh, a strong buyer, we'll have a good deposit as well. So, you know, um, 20% or more um, conventional is what I really, really like. And then if they're 30% or 40% down, a lot of times they're still waiving appraisals nowadays because um, they're putting so much money down. So then we'd have to worry about all that stuff. Andy, what I've kind of uh, explored, and someone did this once, and then I kind of have been copying it myself now. And I think that's how you find out about some of the stuff. And I'll talk, talk about a few more. But on that appraisal thing is what you got to do is you got the lender to be able to state on their letter that this property is not subject to a value of an appraisal. 
So then at that point, they've talked about all the scenarios that could possibly happen with this property and, and whether that's adjusting what loan type you're doing, adding extra money or whatever. But when it's on that letter and it says no appraisal, I just think that's a heck of a lot stronger than, um, you know, just, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll cover it if I, I can. Gap mm -hmm. coverage, because a lot of people say, hey, I'll cover it if I can. But you don't you know, a lot of people don't get the proof for that. Well, what we do is we've even asked for it in, in the form of earnest money, non-refundable. And it, it, you separate the uh, the girls and the uh, women real fast when you have that going on. And then the other thing with us is uh, that I like, um, I, I actually like them to do a home inspection, but to waive it. So they don't, they don't make anything contingent upon the inspection, but they have a chance to do a home inspection for liability reasons for the seller so that we're actually letting them uh, see the house, do the property from a professional's perspective. And then that kind of takes the the hook out of us a little bit saying, hey, you had an inspection, you know, it wasn't contingent upon the inspection, but we actually like to see that inspection performed um, just from the sheer, now you've seen everything and you can't come after us for nothing, you know, perspective. Yeah, I think that's, I think that could be a problem here in the next year or two where people have yep. felt that I paid way too much for this. You wouldn't let me have an inspection because there were 17 offers and I did it because I wanted to win, but you still didn't let me and I don't know what's up and you know what, you made 50,000 higher than you should have, and I want some of that back now. I think that's gonna happen. So I, I I love, I push inspections all the time. That's a great way. You can still elect to do an inspection, but not make it contingent upon that inspection. Sometimes problems do come from that, but I'd much rather have those problems now than when it comes down to closing, or worse yet, after closing, because you have no leverage at that time. So Yeah. Okay, a couple other things. Um, you know, we talk about letters. And a lot of people call them love letters. Uh, what I've been seeing now is not love letters, but is understanding of who the people are. And, um, and, and more so from a, a credit perspective, um, how long they've been at their job, you know, and, and that what I want to see is I want to see a commitment, you know, or, hey, we're not going to have a problem later on. And by being able to kind of put that stuff together, it, um, it really is impactful because everyone, I mean, I'm telling you, everyone asks about who's going to be um, buying their house and that they want their house and that they like their house and all of that. I mean, some of the letters can get a little crazy and some of them are, can, can get really fictitious as well. Um, and, you know, some people say, oh, no, that's not fair. and You can't do that. But reality is, is that people want to know who is purchasing their house and the more information you can give them financially that you can perform. I mean, that ultimately is the main thing is that they can perform. Whoever's going to be in your house is going to live in your house is going to more likely change different things. I was just talking to someone and they went back to their old house and they removed the, they thought the greatest buyers ever. Oh my gosh, they love everything about it. And her prized chandelier was missing when she went over there. And she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. But you know what? It's, it's their house now. It's not your house anymore. So how about... Uh, any niche clauses I've seen um, where people will pay for the seller's move. They'll pay a, a, a moving company to be able to do it, pay, put that in there. Um, buyers buy a home warranty for the same reason um, Andy just said about that inspection. So it's kind of like, hey, I elect to do inspection. It's not contingent upon that. And I also want you to know I'm going to put a home warranty on it. So there is no problems, you know, over the first year, and which is which is a powerful thing. You know, it's cost them five, $600, but it's, to me, it's kind of more the mentality part of it. We can do that from a seller perspective, 
but it's that you're getting into the mentality of not only that buyer, but that agent where they're thinking ahead and they know that, hey, these could be a problem for someone and we want to alleviate all those concerns. Rentbacks, rentbacks are a big yep. thing. Um, you just got to watch out when you put it on paper that says you can only do, um, I mean, a lender only allows up to 60 days that you have to be able to move into that property. So you kind of got to watch that. Any other ones, Andy? You know, I, I, I don't mind, um, you know, uh, I've seen everything from creative financing to having the lenders calling. Um, I've seen, um, you know, just about, just about, uh, uh, oh, buying personal property. Um, we'll buy the patio furniture on the back patio for five grand. I'm like, you know, that's dumb too. That's, I don't know. It's weird. I've seen weird stuff. I, I guess here's the thing, but a clean offer that, that is solid, that uh, keeps us all out of trouble. And, um, and, and you're going to have success with a guy like me because I, I want a clean offer where it puts the most amount of money in my client's pocket possible. Um, and, and it's guaranteed to close. That's what I'm looking for. Gimmicks, actually, the more gimmicks you you put on the top of, of the dessert that you serve me, I I, I get I get actually leery because then I start thinking, what kind of scam are they pulling here? You know, because it's there's too much shiny. You know, that it, it you can go fishing with a worm on a hook, or you can use a big fancy daredevil. You can use you know a plethora of different things, and and not everybody's attracted to the same thing. So yes, sometimes they do have to dress up the offers a little bit differently to make them stick out. But I'll tell you what, a, a good, solid, clean offer with fantastic financing or cash with guarantees for the seller are what ultimately what people are looking for to help, you know, get your client moved to the next project. I'll tell you another thing, too. I think from a, a acceleration clause type thing, um, I don't think it serves the accelerators well to do that. I, I really you accept do. those? I don't even accept them. I just say, no, thanks. Why don't you? I, I told you to present your highest and your best offer by five o'clock. So if that's your highest and your best is what you have on paper, that's what I'm going to present. But we have yeah. an escalation clause. I go, it's not my job to put your offer together, pal. I mean, you put your own offer together, put what you want on paper, put it in writing and sign it because I don't want to play this. I had this last uh, two summers ago. We sold the property in Brooklyn Park and they did the escalation clause and I was 60000 over list price with their escalation clause. And I go, yeah, we actually have it maxed out. And the only reason why we went with your offers because you were putting 10% down instead of five. And um, they're like, oh my God, I went for 260. I'm like, yeah, I went for 260. They go, well, we don't want it at 260. No. So that's why I say put it in writing. That's it, it taught me a very valuable lesson. And I'm thank God we didn't have it signed yet because I went to that uh, client first and uh, or the, the the buyer's agent first and said, Are you sure? And they said, No, actually, thank you for calling. No, we don't want it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think exactly what you're saying and that kind of that theory of, I think sellers look at it that way too. It's just like, you know what? They didn't come with their best. They're hedging their bet, you know, on our property. And and it's hard for a buyer. You know, they don't want to pay more for it. And this is a way in which to be able to say, you know what? Hey, I'm willing to pay for it. I'm willing to go over this amount of much, but I'll go up to this. And I'll, I'll be your best offer. I just don't want to be 50000 over your best offer. Right. And, Hopefully this gets me, but people do look at it like, hey, we've got four offers, three of them have acceleration clauses, and I'm fine. If people want to write them, they can write them. I mean, we deal with them anyways. Um, and a lot of people ask for, hey, you know, um, put it on a piece of paper and show me blood that the other person had this offer and do it. And it's like, no, we don't do that. If here's what we're going to do, we're going to come back to you. Here's what you've said. And we're willing to do this. 
well, give me the perch script. No, we're not going to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. And usually everyone does it, you know, because you shouldn't be sharing other people's offers, you know, should be. Right. And so um, you got to do what's, what's best for your client um, uh, on that. And it's ultimately our client's um, position to take. Um, but us as agents got to get the information to make that decision. Well, but you know, and here's the thing, I hate to tell you this, but a buyer's agent coming in, knowing what they're doing and writes the offer intentionally high, knowing it'll never appraise for that. Um, the, um, they know what they're doing. They're intentionally offering that property. They're offering at a higher number because they, they don't want, um, you know, they, they know it won't appraise. So basically it's a fictitious number to get you to look at their offer over top of all the other offers. So you go with their, and it's because they know that they're hitting your greed button, right? They know that the seller only thinks about, oh, this is the highest price. So they will take the highest offer, but the agent that wrote it knows it'll appraise here. So at the end of the day, they beat out all the other offers. They got what their client wanted as a buyer's agent. So as selling agents, all we're trying to do is strategize and anticipate those gimmicks um, and, and kind of get them out of the way. You know, we want guarantees. Yeah, Andy, you know, we're always out and about. We're seeing listings and we're doing things. And um, sometimes you find some really interesting stuff. And this one couple had uh, a plumber out to be able to kind of take care of a problem for these people. And, uh, and this is what it was. Let's see if you can see it. The plumber took care of that. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah, it would, the door would go past it. You know, because the That's toilet, fantastic. Yeah, so that, don't, don't do the, don't put a new toilet in. All you do is you put this little notch in, it goes right around the toilet. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever. I'm like, I, I couldn't stop laughing because they're like, yeah, I came home. And this is what the plumber did, you know, rather put a different toilet in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to, I think we're, oh, we're going we to. That's why we always put the sink near the uh, the door. Yeah. When you're remodeling, yeah, put the true. vanity near the door, put the toilet away from the door. Hey, there you go. I, it looks like we got a little game. Uh oh. Yes, it's game time. Not story time. Now it's game Ooh. time. In, it's in honor nice of Shark Week, I got my shark mug. I don't yeah. know if you noticed. Buy, rent, dump. So we're going to get some uh, uh, houses in here. We'll talk a little about them, and we're going to decide whether we would buy it, we would rent it, or we would dump it, not handle it. So here we go. All right. So uh, St. Michael, Andy, that's a territory you know well. Um, look at that. It's under his estimate, two ninety nine nine. So we got four bedroom, two bath, seventeen hundred square feet at two ninety nine. I am going to uh, rent that bad boy. Is what I'm going to do. Okay. What do you? So you're, you're estimated. Okay. Payments thirteen sixty-two. I mean, you can't. Yeah. If rentals nowadays are, you can't. You can't get them. I mean, there is none. And with four bedrooms, you got to be able to get. I mean, I don't know in St. Michael, but you got to be getting eighteen hundred to two grand, aren't you, out there? Yeah. Probably it, it really depends on it's it hundred percent depends on the bedroom. Bedroom and bathroom, that's those are good numbers. That's a little a little um seems like a little bit on the high side though, even though the estimate says three oh five. That's because there's executive homes in that area that are selling in the six hundreds. Yeah. So it it's um there's a lot of new developments that are in that area that are six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar houses, and it's skewing the numbers on those automated um, evaluators. I think that house is honestly worth about 275 if I were to look at it. Split entries, when you get over 300, 
you got to have remodeled kitchens. You have to have remodeled bathrooms. Um, you know, is that it, you can see the house next to it. So it's obviously not an acreage. So it's a city lot. Um, I think it's a little on the high side, to be honest with you. So what would you do? Buy, rent or dump? Well, I, I would dump it. I wouldn't pay that for it. All right. You're a dumper. Hey, I wanted to say we did this kind of something like this last one time and it was a house in Prior Lake and uh, it had some stuff. And I'm like, there's no way that house is not it's not going to sell. It's not worth that. It ended up being an agent in our office that listened to our podcast. And I said that and the thing sold for like 40,000 over full price. So there you go. Yeah. So there's our, our for every seat, Chris. What do they say? There's a the butt for every seat. There you go. Just like in that bathroom. All right. Oh, oh prior like, oh boy, I gotta watch myself here. Um, I mean, I know that one. All right. That that's a tough, that's a that's a hot little price range as well. Um, that looks like the basement's unfinished, you know, and that's not a bad thing anymore. It really isn't a bad thing anymore. I am buying on this one. Yep, I agree. I would agree. I, um, I, the only reason why is because that to me, um, looks, that looks like about the same pricing we have in Blaine. And I just listed one here that's going on the market and we were right around that same price point. I think it's interesting. You start seeing these kind of houses where there's an abundance of them. So you might find that, um, level of house in Lakeville. They built a lot of them in that price point. So you're going to get a better buy in Lakeville than you will in prior Lake because they didn't have as many of them. So, right. Okay. Oh, there's the next one. What city? 379.9. It's on the Mississippi. You must be Minneapolis here. South St. Paul. South St. Paul. Five bedroom, two bath. Um, oh, it's on the Mississippi. No, it's across. It's across. It's a, it's off a little ways, but oh, okay. um, looks like it backs up to kind of a busier road as well uh, that follows along. Uh, but I mean, being close to the river like that. 379. <laughs> um, that's like just south of the airport, right out of St. Paul. Yeah, pro yeah. I'm kind of um that area's kind of nice down there. I I yeah. What would you do? Um, I don't I don't know it well enough, so I'm gonna dump it just because I don't know the area. I'd refer you to another agent, but um that I mean it seems to be fair, but it's older, so you gotta remember. Um, if you buy it, you're probably looking at some uh, investment there unless, because I can't read the descriptions to see if there's yeah. totally remodeled inside, in and out, new roof, new furnace, new whatever. But um, just as a, from the outside looking in, older houses usually equal higher holding costs. So I probably wouldn't rent it, but I would, um, you know, do the wider pass. If that lot, if that lot was the full lot. Um, it's at 9,800 square feet. Yeah. So, I mean, how much room you have? 9,500. What you can add on, what you can't. I don't know what the if that's the garage uh, that appendix. I think that looks like somebody else's lot because nine, if you look at nine thousand five hundred square feet, divide what is it, forty five thousand square feet in in an acre. Forty three thousand five sixty. Yep. So you do that math, and that's point two five. Yeah. Pretty small. Yeah. Posted stamp. I'm dumping it. I'm with I you. I dump it too. We're in. We're in the. Because I don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Is that that it? We did our game. We we hey, agree. Robo guy. Although I was I was renting that first one, you were buying uh, the other one. So um, we got a term. Oh, we got a question. Are buyers foregoing inspections for a home warranty policy? Yes, they are. 
Yes, they are. Happens a lot. Um, usually, you uh, we got a lot more when we were getting multiple, multiple offers. Um, yeah. I think those were those people that were there were winning, and I kind of appreciate the agents because um, a lot of them don't. But I appreciated the agents that would come in and just say, you know what, where were we off? You know, what was it? And not asking, hey, how much did we lose out by? Was it the price? Was it the, um, you know, how we, you know. We didn't put a warranty in. We asked for an inspection, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, to try to get their clients um, prepared to win the next time. But, yeah, people are definitely uh, foregoing in, uh, inspections uh, for home warranties or doing exactly what Andy said. They add the warranty on and they do the inspection, but they don't. Um, <laughs> so those are those are spritzers, I, I found out. That's like a famous, that's a famous drink down there. I'm sure it's non alcoholic they don't they don't drinks yet that's cute yeah it's cute looks like you're arnie palmer hey i mostly iced tea 10 percent lemonade uh-oh chris your open house in prior lake had counter and wall staging but no furniture is that the new trend when selling um okay yeah we do have we had one that that is and this property is kind of um i wanted everyone to be able to see it uh, because it's a it's a renovation type house or um, a, a big opportunity to um, put some money into it and make a lot more. And so I think by seeing it better, um, it was more important. And it, that was listed prior and it had a ton of furniture in it and it was dated furniture. And um, so we got it all out and it looks much better. We actually had two people through that open house that had come before and uh, were like, it was was not good and they're like oh my gosh it's a totally different looking house so actually had four people that are really on it so that's pretty cool 2.2 million so seems like a bargain yeah well it actually is you put 500 grand into it you put 500 into it it's worth three million all day long so have you ever done a transaction as a dual agent if so how was it I actually do quite a few of them um more now than later typically the upper bracket you do more of them um, because a lot of times those people just come directly to uh, the agent and got we can't discuss price terms or motivation unless otherwise instructed by your client. Um, but you're, you're upfront and you're honest and you say it what it is and um, there's, there's no problem with it. It's, it's harder from a standpoint of, um, oh, I can't tell you this, but as another agent, you wouldn't know what you already would have known if you were talking to that client. So it's not like, so if Andy has a property listed, and I'm representing my buyer. Andy's not going to tell me, hey, I talked to my buyer and they're willing to take 22000 less, um, but they don't want to tell anyone that. That's, I mean, so we can't, we can't do the same thing. So information that people want to know is really private information that I can't share about you either. So it's like a buyer comes in and says, hey, that's 2.2, I know, but I'll pay 1.9 for it. I want to offer 1.9, but I'd really pay 2.4. Okay, so I can't go run back to the seller and say, hey, don't worry about the 1.9, just count them back at 2.4. You lose your well, life. So there's a, whole, there's a whole different layer of this too when you get into dual agency. So the first thing I would say is if you're representing a seller and then a buyer comes in unrepresented and you treat them as almost like a facilitator relationship where you, know, you, you can't really tell them anything, right? You just say, yep, it's for sale. Um, they want full price. You can't divulge any motivation, terms, conditions unless your seller tells you you can, right? So then when you look at dual agency in the sense of what dual agency really is, is that 
are you going to put them under some kind of a contract where the buyer now is represented by you as well? So now you truly have two contracts in play where the only difference between the two is confidentiality um, between each party, which is kind of what you're talking about, Chris. And then, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's kind of a odd thing because we do a lot of new construction where we have people come in and they want to do business directly with us. And so because we represent the builder and now we represent the buyer in a buyer capacity, um, you truly do have dual agency. And and it, it, it's, you know, unless you get into a fight, okay, where you want, both parties want to separate, usually it works out really well. It, it, it's fine because, you know, you treat customers like customers and you have pricing set up. The pricing is what it is. And the, you know what I mean? It's more of a management than it is a negotiation um, process um, with new construction. So I think it works nicely with new construction. But if you're wheeling and dealing on a big property and and uh, there's not a variable rate commission involved, um, a lot of times sellers will prefer that you don't represent a buyer, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, we got a term of the day. And uh, what does staging mean to you, Mr. Brasky? Now that Greg just answered or asked that question, here we go. Well, you know, to me, staging is is preparing the house to help people visualize how the house should be used, right? So you you can, like, for example, in that photo that's there, there's a piano in the corner, staging, right? You know, imagine having cocktail parties and playing the piano and whatever, and the fire is going, and that that's that's staging. That's setting the 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 uh, environment or the the tone, if you will. Um, but you know, even like in kitchens with flowers and and bringing life to a room or making sure that you you visualize or see the view um, by having a point of interest, you know, so that a clear path, so that when you walk into the house, you can walk to the back, you walk right by the piano and you look at the great view of the lake. And then you turn around and you notice the piano and you notice the fireplace. So it, it's experiencing the property, I think, is the best way to say staging to me. Um, or, or sometimes where there's houses, because not every house is, is fancy or you know, uh, exciting. So staging actually uh, is also, I, I will use the term merchandising, where we make sure that everything looks and feels right. You know, so that the, it's, if it's a smaller space, you make it feel um, not small, you know what I mean? But you also, uh, I don't know how to say that, where you, you're making sure to maximize its value. You, you know, merchandise the house, get it prepared so people feel comfortable. Yeah. Andy, I call I appreciate it. what you have. I I have a different word for it as well. It's called positioning because I think staging, um, it, it depends what you're trying to do with it. The house that we're talking about, 2.2 million, you know, there's no furniture in it, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to position that house uh, for a, for a certain way to try to get the most amount of money um, for it. Nick, if you can throw that picture up again, I want to make a couple comments on that because there's a couple ways in which to look at this. So that piano um, takes up room and it's blocking windows as well. And then there's that that carpet that's in the middle that's making the room look smaller. Rug, yeah. No, there's there's two huge, I mean, party size couches in there that you could probably get away with one, you know. And so to try to maximize the space and not, um, you know, it, it's kind of like, I, I mean, I could say on that because um, when Andy said that about the piano, you know, and hey, imagine yourself here doing it. I'm like, okay, that does make sense. But I also look at it and say, you know what? there's nowhere else to put it. And so that to me is something maybe I would maybe pull out. And same with that, I mean, that rug. I think even if you just did the rug right now and pulled the rug out of those, under those couches, it would change that whole room. It'd be a big well, difference. 
you know, Chris, you and I both know that baby grand pianos are, are a showstopper. People stop and they, even people that don't know anything about pianos will, will sit down and look at that piano and go, wow, you know, it's kind of like a distraction. So in, in executive level homes, um, you'll see piano rooms where it's it's set up just for a piano. And and there's a reason for that. It, it you know, it's most people play piano or they want to go in there and, you know, unwind and, and, and uh, you know, go away and, and play their piano. But at to entertain people is usually not like like you're saying, Chris. It, it's not usually the case. So most people are putting the piano in there because that's the only space that a, a 10 foot long piano can fit. Um, right. So it, 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 it's, you know, I'll tell you what it, I like, I give them a, I give them a eight out of 10 for creativity for putting that piano in there, you know, cause they probably lived with it in there, but I would, I would watch my feedback strictly really, really tight. And if feedback kept coming back saying the room feels small because you know, it's crowded. First thing I would do is call the piano mover and have that piano pulled out of that room. Yeah. Like I agree with you. Yeah. Here's the other thing too, is you made a good point about, um, you know, it's it's a conversation thing. And oh my gosh, look at that piano. I wonder where they got it. Oh my gosh, look at it. And they're spending more time looking at the piano than they're looking at the house. It's kind of like the the bell collection or the coffee cup collection or all your sports memorabilia. You know, they're not buying that. And that's what they're concentrating on. You know, like on that last picture, I mean, there's a, there's a nice fireplace there with a stone. I think it was stone all around it. Yeah, you know, that that's what you want them to concentrate on versus all your other stuff that you have there. So um, sure. and versus a piano. So that's, I think that's positioning. And and Andy, you said another real good thing is that who is, I know, but who is your customer? And so you're catering to the customer. So in that house, not everyone's going to have a piano like that or need it. And now it becomes just a small family room. Now in an upper executive home, you know what? People just have that piano just to be able to look at. So or, that, you know, like you, Chris, you might have an arcade basketball game in there. Yeah, totally. I just put it on the on the uh, uh, fireplace. I put the hoop right on the fireplace. So is a certified stager a degree? Um, well, they have uh, my uh, my stager went to uh, for interior design, went to uh, college for interior design, has a degree in that. So, yeah, I think uh, I mean, I'll tell you what you got to be. To be a, a stager and a good stager and working with everyone's stuff and um, coming up with new designs every time is a is an amazing talent. I'm telling you that. I wish I had it. I have a I have a little. I, can, I do too. I can't put a bunch of sticks together and throw them in rocks and have a flower that right. looks real. You know. I agree, dude. I can't I can't agree more. I, I sit there and I can look at that. And I go. I don't know why, but you walk in some houses and you go, "This is cool." And you walk in other houses and you're like, I don't know, I hate this house. No. And, and I, yeah, so I agree. I have to hire the professional. Yeah. All right. I think Mr. Uh, Spritzer is done. I think he wants us to tell us, uh, maybe Andy, you can do this. What's saying on the bottom there? They, they can go to our podcast. They can like it. Well, yeah. So check us out. So every week we can, uh, it'll go right to your in basket. Sign up on your, your, uh, your platform of choice, iTunes, Spotify iHeart or whatever we've got, uh, we put all the podcasts out there so that, you know, when you're driving down the road or you want to share it with somebody, it's a great way to share the podcast. And Chris and I appreciate it. When you follow us, then we know that you like us. And then it also tells us which format you guys prefer um, so we can put more effort into that format. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the other thing is, is this, I, we, we love a show we always have uh, interacting with the audience, um, you know, so if you think of something, 
you can literally type the question in today and we'll ask it next week. Um, go to our Facebook page, um, Real Estate Radio Hour um, on Facebook and type that in and, and you'll find us there. Follow us, like the page, and then it'll give you automatic updates. And, and when we go live, like we are this morning, um, it, it pops up and makes it easy for you to find us. Yeah, it's fun. We we have been doing this uh, for a lot of years together. And it's, it's kind of our time in which to be able to uh, get together and uh, and wisecrack each other and make fun of each other, but yet kind of give two different perspectives of what's happening in the real estate market. And hopefully it helps you um, from a buyer seller perspective or a lot of agents uh, listen to it. I get uh, talked to a about it a lot and so uh, yeah it's kind of fun it's a fun way in which to be able to do it and who knows what this thing is doing or what why we're doing it i don't think we have any ulterior motive but uh i think it's uh it's kind of a fun i thing. just i just think there's a lot of crap information out there that's one-sided or opinionated to sway you into buying their widget or their 1995 a month program or whatever and i i think that you know you and i chris come from a place of experience and, and we've got the scars to prove it. I mean, we've been through this business. We've seen the highs, we've seen the lows and, you know, and we just, I just like to get the word out there and, you know, it comes down to where good agents are hard to find. So if you do have a good agent, that's done a good job for you, um, support them by referring them to somebody. Same with mortgage professionals, title people, um, you know, home inspectors, all of those people. Um, if they've done a good job, refer them. I mean, in today's world of gimmicks and click here's and apps and making, when you, when you make people pay to get referred um, or you make them, you know, other than just doing a good job, in, in my opinion, it dilutes the, the authenticity of it. And nothing is better than when somebody refers an agent that they've, you know, the agent did a good job for them um, or the professional did a good job for them. And, and you uh, do the courtesy of passing their name along. And so I know a lot of times we're skeptical in today's world of doing that without seeing the reviews online. And let's make this a real world referral again. I mean, nothing more powerful. And, and especially for a guy like me, man, when I get referred, I am so appreciative. And the people that have referred me know exactly uh, why I do what I, I well, do you give them a subway? I reward them. them. I, I, I'm always Mr. Give out the, the fun stuff and, you know, subway, subway gift card, take them out to subway for lunch. So, yeah. You're so nice. Do you, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, hey, couple. I got a couple of really good listings coming on this weekend. Oh yeah, Lakeshore under nine hundred thousand. How about that one? Four bedroom, turnkey. Yeah, it's nice. And then a walkout Rambler with a pool, extra garage on acreage in Credit River, wow, under amazing. a million. Under a million. So um, yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be another busy weekend for sure. How about you? Yeah, I, I put. I think I got three that went on the market today. Um, oh God, the smiley's back. Hello, how hey, are Mr. you? Mr. Roboto, why don't you say something? I think we did the best we could with my situation. Oh, there you go. We kind of understood you. Are we still Andy? That's good. All right. We're, we're, move, we're moving hey, Chris, on. Do we, do we still have our Andy and Rooney uh, .com website? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you promote that? I don't know what it is. What do we What do we say on it? You. Good point. Um <laughs> I, I think they well, should. If people like to go on the internet, video and listen to iTunes, and they uh, can find it. So, once yeah. Mr. Roboto's back next week, he'll let us know. Sounds good, guys. Here we are. All right, bud. Have a good day. You too. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.